in our Bibles this morning, 2 Corinthians, back to our series in this particular book, and it is actually a continuing thought from the last time that I preached, which was a couple of weeks ago. We had our candidate, Justin Dillapane, uh, Dillapane, excuse me, candidated last Sunday for the position of children's pastor. We will be having a business meeting, and I'll give some more details about that after the service, at the end of this month, and we'll be voting in Justin as the children's pastor. He's married. His wife, Caitlin, would be our secretary here at the school, and uh, that's a combination of church and school secretary. He would work in our middle school and then uh, oversee the children's program, which would allow Pastor John to uh, step away from the children's program and kind of get involved in some other areas in our church. So uh, please be in prayer about that. Justin was here last week. If you did not have a chance to hear him, please go on to our Facebook page, our website. Uh, you go to Sermon Audio and look at last Sunday's or listen to last Sunday's message. Get a chance to hear uh, Pastor Justin preach. He did a fantastic job, in my opinion. He is currently serving as a youth pastor at his, at his church in Pennsylvania, looking to move up here. And so be in prayer about that, and our church will vote on that here at the end of the month. The Sunday before that, of course, is our Freedom Festival. Had a great time out there. Uh, we're putting together a video that we'll be showing you guys here in the new future about some of the things that was done. So thank you again for all of those that helped. So it's been a few weeks since I've been in 2 Corinthians. We're back there today. And the last time I preached in 2 Corinthians, the title of the message was Missions Giving. And it was uh, in chapter 8, and it dealt with the, the uh, truth that Paul was dealing with in the fact that the Jerusalem church was in need of some money. They were struggling financially. And he asked that the churches in Macedonia, surrounding area, the church in Corinth, asked that they would assist by giving an offering to the church in Jerusalem. Well, he had been trying to gather that offering for a year, and then we saw that the Apostle Paul initially requesting in 1 Corinthians, and then in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he was referring back to it. And so now we're basically a year later, that offering has still not been taken up. And that's where we were at last time. Let's go ahead and pick up now in verse 16. But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. For indeed, he accepted the exhortation, but being more forward of his own accord, he went unto you. And we have sent him with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. Okay, as I was looking at this passage and considering how would I bring this truth to Meriden Hills, I was a little torn. And I'll tell you why. First of all, this message of giving starts at the beginning of chapter 8 and doesn't end till, till the end of chapter 9. It is two full chapters on giving. I, I thought, all right, I try not to lump chapters together. I try to look at God's word as a pastor and recognize that every verse, every portion of scripture has so much deep truth that we're not doing it justice when, not, when I'm preaching like a, one to two chapters every Sunday. I don't need to preach only on one verse. You'll find if you've been here any amount of time, I'm usually preaching anywhere from like four to maybe eight or ten verses at a time. But I was a little torn. To preach four to ten verses, I'd be doing a series on giving for at least three more Sundays on top of the one I already taught. And, and the reason I'm torn is I, I stated last time I preached on this, Meriden Hills, guys, you just don't need, this is not our struggle, okay? You guys are good. Like, it is amazing to me how much God gives to the community through this community. It is amazing to me how much God gives to this community of believers through this community of believers. 
And so, and even, by the way, even if I felt like this church needed to hear this message, I don't think that teaching it four Sundays in a row is the best way to do it. Even if I felt that way, and I don't feel that way. So I'm doing something I don't normally do, and I'm preaching a slew of verses in one Sunday. We're going to finish chapter 8, and we're going to finish chapter 9 today, because I just don't have the heart to preach on giving to this church again next Sunday. I believe there are other truths we can move on to. So Buckle up, because we got a lot of verses to cover. So having said that, there's a lot of verses I probably won't be reading today just because of the amount of passages that we're covering. So you got your Bibles with you. Hopefully, if you don't, get your phone out and download the Bible app right now and uh, read those verses that I skip. Read those verses that I, meet, that I miss, because that is your responsibility as a, as a Christian, not just to you know, close your Bible, look at me, and just listen to what I say and say, well, Pastor Russ said it. It must be in the Bible because his Bible is open. <laughs> look, a lot of people have their Bibles open when they preach, and they're not necessarily preaching what's in the open book on their pulpit, okay? It's your job to make sure that as I'm preaching, you're reading the text and you say, yes, what he's saying is in line with what I'm reading, not out of line, not contrary to, because a whole lot of Christians are very confused because they just accept what the preacher says rather than testing what the preacher says, not with what you feel, but with what God says, And that's why I encourage you. Have your book out. Have your Bible out. Let's take a look at these verses together. So uh, we're starting with this thought at the end of chapter 8 where the Apostle Paul talks about Titus. By the way, the message we're done reading for now, the message of this, this, uh, um, title of this message today is Generous Living. Generous Living, that's the main idea that you get throughout the end of chapter 8 into chapter 9. And so uh, the Apostle Paul talks about Titus, and he says, hey, Titus is coming to Corinth to collect that money. That's what chapter 8, the the next verses are discussing. And he says he's bringing someone with him, just referred to as the brother. All we really know about this guy is that he's a guy. That's all we know. We don't really know who else this person is. There are some thoughts. The prevalent thought is that it's Luke. Now, why wouldn't the Apostle Paul say that his name is Luke? I don't know. You can ask him when he gets to heaven. Ultimately, the Bible's inspired. I guess the real question is, why didn't God inspire Paul to say Luke? That's the real question, and you can ask God that right now, and if God tells you, come tell me after the service, because I don't know why God didn't say Luke. Maybe because it wasn't Luke. That's a possibility. We don't know if it's Luke. The reason many think it's Luke is because Luke was very prevalent in the Apostle Paul's ministry, along with Timothy, along with Titus. It was those four guys, Luke, Timothy, Titus, and um, Paul. Now, we know that Timothy is, is not going with Titus because of other passages in Corinth and otherwise. We know it's not Timothy, which leads to believe it's Titus and Luke. Could it have been some other random person? Most definitely, but I think that uh, again, it tends to be Luke. All right, so we got Luke, we've got Titus. They're headed to Corinth to collect the money. Why two guys and not just one guy? Any thoughts on why two guys? Well, what are they going to collect money? How much? A lot. What could happen if it's just one guy? All kinds of things could happen if it's just one guy. Oh, but come on, it's Titus. Don't you trust Titus? Yes, we trust Titus, but the reason we trust Titus is because Titus is not the kind of guy to handle tens of thousands of dollars by himself. That's why we trust Titus. Titus doesn't put us in positions where we say, now that seems a little odd. I guess I'll just have to trust him. No, Titus says, I'm not going by myself. I'm not bringing all that money by myself. Someone's going with me. And if you read the verses following, the Apostle Paul implies that the one who's going, Luke or otherwise, didn't, wasn't chosen by Paul, 
wasn't chosen by Titus, but was by chosen by the other churches in Macedonia. And they said, we're going to choose the second guy, which again was very likely Luke because he was so well known in that area. Remember, he was in that area when Paul came. Paul came, found Luke, and then Luke started following Paul. Luke already knew people in that area before Paul was even there. So uh, it, it's very likely that uh, Luke went or whoever went because he was chosen by the churches in that area. So here I'm going to give you some great practical philosophical truths regarding finances today, specifically church finances, which are based in the theology of Scripture. Are you guys ready? Here we go. Let's go ahead and take a look now at these three main truths. Uh, Point number one being the caretakers of the gift, the caretaker of, of the money in the church. Number two, the cause for the gift. And number three, the conclusion of the gift, the purpose of the gift. What was the reason for the gift? Okay, let's go to number one, the caretakers of the gift. That is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 16 through 24. And in verses 16 through 20, we find out uh, the, the fact that Titus and another person went letter A. The responsibility of the giver does not end with the offering. All right, look at verse number 17. For indeed, he, Titus, accepted the exhortation, the encouragement to go get the money. But being more... Forward, of his own accord, he went unto you. And we, Paul and Timothy, have sent with him the brother, probably Luke, whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. All these churches know this guy, the brother, and want him to represent them in getting the money. And that not only, but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace, which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord. Verse 20, avoiding this that no man should blame us in this abundance which is administered by us. Now, there is the key verse right there for verse 20. For this first point, verse 20 is the key verse. The Apostle Paul says, I didn't want to put Timothy, myself, Titus, Luke, the brother, whatever, I didn't want to put us in a position where people accuse us of embezzlement, of stealing. And he said, it is the church's responsibility to set us up for success by allowing the church to choose the men to get the money. Now, what's the philosophy? It's right up here. A lot of Christians, I can't tell you how many times I've heard a statement like this. We were in a church where we were concerned about how the money was used, but we believed it was just our responsibility to give and everything else was up to God. You know why you believe that? Because someone told you that. You know why they told you that? Probably because they didn't want you to know what was going on. The only other reason is because you in your heart, in your head, there were red flags, and you were greatly concerned about the misuse and abuse of money, but you didn't have the heart to accuse anyone. And so you just kept giving, closing your eyes, and wishing for the best. And you literally believed that I've done my part by giving, now I'll let them do their part by whatever they're doing. Look, if you give to a thief, you cannot then say, well, that's not my fault. (laughs) If you give to someone you are concerned of theft, you cannot say, that's not my fault. If you give money to someone you know will abuse that money, you cannot say, that's not my fault. You are a steward of the money God has given you. I am not. If I was a steward, God would have given it to me. Well, Pastor Russ, he does give it to you. When we tithe, 
you got a wrong idea of where that money goes. It doesn't go in my pocket. When you tithe, I don't get it. <laughs> All right? It's not my money. The money is God's money, and we as a church have set up more than one person to make sure that it's used for God, not given to me only. Obviously, the church pays me, all right? I do get some of it as payroll, but you know what? That payroll has been voted on by you. I don't decide how much I get. I don't give myself raises. You guys decide. That is your decision because if you are a steward of the money, it's not enough just to give it but to know how it's used once you've given it. And if you do not know, don't give. I see some visitors in our church today. Glad you're here. Our church operates on this principle that you are responsible for giving how much you give because God gave it to you first, so you decide where it goes from there, and you are responsible for what's done with it once you give. And if you're from another church, I'm not trying to badmouth your church or your pastor. I don't know what church you go to. I don't know your pastor personally, okay? That is one of the blessings of, of being an independent church. I really don't know a lot of people. I'm not here to badmouth other spiritual leaders. I'm here to warn you that you've been lied to. Your responsibility does not end with giving. Your responsibility continues with once it's given, what happens after that. That's exactly what we see here in 2 Corinthians 8. The churches in Macedonia said, all right, we've given. We want to make sure that what we've given goes to what it was given towards. So we love Titus. He's a great guy. But one guy isn't the right way to do it. We want two guys. And we want to choose the second guy. There are some red flags that should hinder your giving. First red flag is no transparency. An organization, church, otherwise, nonprofits around Christmas, there are certain people I just won't give to. There are certain organizations because they are transparent, and what I see, I don't like. I mean, when 10 cents of the dollar goes to what you're giving towards and 90% goes to pockets, I'm not giving to them, all right? So if they are transparent, then look at what the transparency is showing you and decide, is this one I want to give to? If they're not transparent, don't give to it. There are some organizations I don't give to because I don't know where the money goes, and that includes churches. If the church isn't transparent, do not give to that church. Require them to be transparent. And if they have reasons for not being transparent, that's a red flag, I wouldn't give. If they claim to be transparent, but the numbers don't match up, and the only way to verify it is by the people who are over the money, and they're all related, that's a red flag. Right? So they put numbers up on the board, and you're saying, well, that doesn't make sense. Because I know I gave whatever, and it's less than that. <laughs> Can we verify that? Well, yeah, talk to my wife. Talk to my son. Well, come on now. Seriously, your wife's not going to rat you out. Your son's not going to say something different than what you told me. So when they're all related, overseeing the finances, that's a red flag. We find here two guys, unrelated, chosen by the church, and Paul said, it didn't bother me. He says, it's what I wanted. When the pastor is bothered by your desire for transparency, that's a red flag. Because a spiritual leader won't be bothered by transparency. They will offer it without asking. And if they failed in some way to offer it and you ask, they will say, oh, definitely, here you go. I didn't know that I was not being transparent. I'm happy to give this to you. A spiritual leader wants to be above reproach. Verse 20, read it again. That's what Paul is saying. I don't want to be accused, and I want to put these young guys in a position of accusation, so I will not let them go alone. They're going together, and you chose them, not me. All right, letter B. Moving on from this idea of uh, the caretakers of the gift, who, who they should be. Well, 
the responsibility is on you to make sure that those who are overseeing the finances are people you can trust, people you have chosen, and it's not one family only looking at the money and no one else sees it. Letter B, the caretaker who lacks transparency cannot begrudge the giver who lacks trust. Verse 21, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. The Apostle Paul goes on with this thought, continues this thought that, hey, I am doing this. I am being transparent before God. It's my, my obligation. But also before you, I want to be honest before you because I want your trust. I want to gain your trust. Your trust is more important to me than my control. You know, men and women who want to control finances, I get that. I, I, do, I really do because when you lose control of finances, finances are often out of control. I, I understand that. And I really understand why a lot of people, they want to keep the spend, expenditure of the finances and, and who uses them to a small group. Because if you've got 30 people spending, you know, millions of dollars, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really easy to lose track of where that money is going. Which, you know, hello, our government, right? So it's proof that that happens. So the fewer people that spend, often the more control you've got. The problem isn't so much control because the, the finances need to be in control, not out of control. The problem is when the, those in control don't want to include other people in decisions. I'm not saying that everyone in this church spends the money, but everyone in this church should be included in how the money is spent, and then a few are designated towards spending that money. All right? Why? Because control is important for me because I don't want to lose control of the finances as a pastor, my staff. We don't want to lose control. But what's more important to me is your trust. I'm actually more than happy to give up control if I can gain your trust. Now, to a certain level, because I can't gain your trust if I lose control of the finances and then it all goes south, right? So there has to be a balance there. So I'm willing to give up some of that control, let other people be involved, and we do. We've got uh, three people who are, you might say, over the finances of the church. I've got a, a treasurer, a co-treasurer, and a bookkeeper, all three separate people, none of them related at all. We're not even talking like second or third cousins, not even related to any degree, okay? Three people, uh, and they are, they are overseeing the finances in the sense of they, they know what's coming in, they know what's going out, and then they tell me, and then I've been designated along with a couple of others, unrelated, my pastoral staff, not my kids, not my siblings, right? Unrelated people that are now in control of how it's spent based off of what's coming in, based off of what you vote in. Multiple checks and balances, and I'm willing to let that control go for transparency, for honesty, and because I want your trust. That's what Paul wanted. He wanted their trust. He said we need to be honest before men so we don't lose our testimony and our ministry with them. It is a shame how many pastors, pastors' wives, pastors' family will hold so tightly onto control of the finances, every aspect of it, losing the trust of the people along the way, and they just don't see it. And they think it's for the greater good. No, there is not a greater good. The money is not a greater good than the trust of the people. Letter C. A plurality, and I've been saying this now for the last 10 minutes, of unrelated caretakers will likely lead to the furthering of God's glory and his work. All right, now here's where we skip some verses. Go to 23. Look at the end of verse 23 and the glory of Christ. All right, you can read the verses around it. But basically, the Apostle Paul is saying we're doing this. The reason we're getting the money, the reason we're doing it in the manner in which we are is that God will be glorified. That's what we want we want God to be glorified, and we want the money to go where we promised it would go, Jerusalem, furthering his work over there to that city that needs help. Your giving is not to make me rich. Your giving is not even to make me comfortable. Your giving is to glorify God 
and to further his work. That is our reason for giving. We're going to talk about the, the, the cause, the purpose, why we give here. That's our next point. But the, the method that we use to receive the money, the method that we use to spend the money is so that God will be glorified and that his work would be furthered. And along the way, your trust would be built. That is our philosophy of finances here at Meriden Hills Baptist Church. Now, let's go on to point number two. So we talked about the caretakers of the gift, which is the money that they're collecting from the Corinthian church. Let's now go to point number two, and that is the cause of the gift. Now we're going to go to chapter 9, and for the rest of our time together, we're going to knock out chapter 9, verses 1 through 15. Let's look at verse 1. For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous, unnecessary for me to write to you. He says, look, you really don't need me, Corinthian church, to write to you about the need of another church's use of your finances. You guys are over generous. You, Corinthian church, are, a, are, are living the generous uh, lifestyle, all right? He says, it's, it's really unnecessary for me to address the issue of giving. And that is exactly how I feel about this church. It is unnecessary for me to address the issue of giving. You say, Pastor Russ, then why are you addressing it? Because it's in the Bible, and we are in this book, and I have committed to preaching through the book, whether I think that a certain part of it applies to us or not, I'm going to preach through it. That's where we are. But I get it, Paul. I'm with you, Paul. This is probably superfluous. This is probably an unnecessary message this morning for most, if not all in this room, but we're going to give it anyways. So verse two, for I know the forwardness of your mind. Paul says, I know how generous you are. Folks, I know how generous you are. Now, I don't know how generous you are individually, because I don't know what you give individually. I've said that so many times. If you've been at this church six years, you probably lost count of how many times I've said as a pastor, I don't know how much you give. I'm going to say it again. You need to understand and believe this fact. I don't count the money. I don't look at the checks. I don't track the spending online. I don't have access to this. I don't want access to this. Sam, Abby, Tonino, they've got access to this, and they know not to give me access to this. I've also told them, don't give access to my youth pastor. Don't give access to my assistant pastor. I don't want any pastors, and I don't want any pastor's wives, and I don't want any pastor's kids knowing who gives in this church. And on top of that, I don't want you knowing who gives in this church. There's only three people, and that's it. No one else. Why? Because I don't want you thinking that we love you for how much you give. And I don't want you feeling that a particular message is preached because of what you give. I don't want you thinking that in any way your relationship in this church with God's people, God, myself, is in any way affected by how you give. In my opinion, it's not. It is not how much you give, it's why you give that affects your relationship with God. It will not affect it with me because I won't know. But it will affect it with God, why you give. How much you give, well, that is dependent on a lot of factors. But folks, at the beginning of this chapter, Paul says, I really don't need to preach this to you. You guys are so generous, but I'm going to, and that's how I feel about you. I don't know how much you give, but I do know this. This church is generous. That I know. I couldn't say individually names, you are generous or not, but it must be a lot of you because there's no way <laughs> that only a few of you are, are upholding the church's finances of just among three families. It has, to, in my opinion, there's a lot of you that are giving throughout the year, throughout the months, that are very generous for whatever that looks like for you. 
So generous living, I believe this church has it. So I guess the purpose of this message is to remind you this morning of why you are generous. So here we are, letter A. Our sacrifice inspires others. Let's go ahead and look at verse number four. Lest happily, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we that say not ye should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. All right, so he says in verse two and three, basically, we were boasting on your behalf. We were boasting about how generous you are. And it has inspired the churches of Macedonia to also be generous because you are generous. And he says, hey, guys, don't let me down. Like, I, he says, I really think it's unnecessary to preach this to you, but I'm just asking don't let me down. Like, I have, I have put myself on the line for you, church in Corinth. I have been boasting to everyone about how generous you are and has encouraged them to be generous. So please uh, make sure that you are who you normally are. Don't change on me now. Verse 5, therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort, to encourage the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as covetousness. He says, I'm sending Titus and probably Luke, I'm sending them ahead of time to gather the money so that we don't show up later and say, where's the money? And you say, oh, oh, I don't have it. You know what? Look, I got to be honest with you. There's a lot of times where I say, hey, I'll help you out. I'll give you some money. Uh, I'll let you borrow some money. I'm going to tie the church. Oh, man, I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. It's not a matter of an intention to not give. It's a matter of forgetting. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I know, Corinth, that you are givers. I'm sending these two guys to remind you to collect it so that when we arrive later, you don't say, oh, I forgot. And people say, oh, you forgot, huh, really? So we want to make sure that your heart is reflected by your gift, giving you the chance to remember your gift. All right, but our sacrifice, why do we give? What's the cause of the gift? It inspires others. The Corinthian church inspired a plurality of churches in Macedonia to be generous likewise. You know, I have noticed, I'm not bragging, I just noticed, in Meriden, have you noticed other churches are starting to do what our church has been doing for three years? You guys notice that? Uh, when, I, when, we, when we first started doing stuff in the community, no one else, that I, I wasn't necessarily checking up on churches, I just didn't see it. I didn't see churches doing other things similar to what we're doing. And now, I mean, it's, it warms my heart. Whether I like the church or not, agree with the church or not, been to the church or not, it just warms my heart to see there are a plurality of churches in Meriden and surrounding area now doing similar things, which is what? Showing love to the community and saying, we are here if you need us. And we're willing to invest in you as a person and as a community. There's a church, again, whether we agree theologically or not, that's not the point of this morning's message. There's a church that it seems on more than one occasion has just had the members gather a bunch of stuff, go on the Meriden Green and say it's all free. It's like a garage sale, but it's, there's no price attached. Like, just come and get your stuff. I don't think they've, you know, there's churches like this doing that now. So that is what God does. When a church gives generously, other churches pay attention and say, you know what? We probably should be doing the same thing. Yeah, you probably should. You inspire others. Letter B, our sacrifice supports others. I mean, look, isn't that why we're giving? If you're giving out of obligation, I've said it, it, this before as well. I'll say it again. Don't give. If you feel obligated to tithe, stop tithing until you want to tithe. If you feel obligated to give to missions, stop giving to missions until you want to give to missions. And one reason to give is you inspire others when you give. The second reason is really the ultimate goal of giving, that what I give would be a help and support to someone else. That's why I'm giving. I want to give to God's kingdom so that God's kingdom can support God's kingdom and those outside God's kingdom and show them God's kingdom is here. <laughs> We're giving to support. We're giving so that others can benefit. Verse 6, but this I say, 
he which soweth sparingly shall also shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. All right, that verse might be one of the top 100. I mean, there's a lot of misinterpreted verses. I'm going to put it up there. I don't know if it's the top 10. It's definitely up there of misinterpreted texts. This verse is used by preachers to say, if you want a lot of money, give a lot of money. Because the more you give, the more you get. And if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly, and God's not going to give you much in return. But if you sow, if you plant a lot, oh, man, the floodgates of heaven will open, open, open up, and you have more money coming back to you than you could ever have imagined. This is the verse, and this is the chapter they use. That is not what God is saying here. And I'll tell you why. For the Christian, when we sow, we are not looking to get money back. We are looking to get fruit back. Fruit, folks. We were not put in this world to grow our money tree. We were put in this world to grow a spiritual fruit tree. And this idea of sowing and reaping is you sow what God has given you to reap fruit for God. I am not going to tell you, give 100 and you get 1,000. That's not in Scripture. That would be a lie. I will tell you this. Give to God's kingdom cheerfully. Time, energy, money, clothing, possessions, whatever it is you're giving. So bountifully, generously, give much of yourself. Volunteer much of yourself. Volunteer your time and your efforts and your energy. Volunteer your prayer bountifully. Be generous with your prayer life. Be generous in your giving. And watch God take what you gave and return a bountiful, bountiful harvest of spiritual fruit. <laughs> fruit for God's kingdom. People getting saved. People who are saved coming back to God. <laughs> People who have come back to God and been living for God but felt alone, now recognizing they're not alone. Bountiful fruit. Children growing up in a church that is generous, children seeing what that looks like, and children becoming generous themselves. That is a bountiful harvest. What price tag would you put on the character of a child? How much would you be willing to pay to ensure that that child grows up a man or a woman of character? There is no price tag you can put on that. Stop thinking that the reaping is money back for you. That is the, uh, th those are people who are in the ministry for money, trying to get your money, and twisting scripture to convince you to give more. Stop it. And if you're going to give generously, do it knowing that in generous giving and generous living, we'll see a generous harvest of spiritual fruit for God's kingdom. That's the cause of the gift. Do not give to get. Give to receive and give back to God the fruit. That's why we give. That will change your whole outlook on why you give. That will change your outlook on how much you give. And hopefully... It will help you better evaluate Scripture in the future to not be so um, convinced by those who've twisted it for their own gain. By the way, if someone is preaching to you on giving and, and they live the life of a millionaire, they're probably not the right one to be preaching. There's probably something going on there, okay? That's just, just benefit for you guys. If you watch TV, you listen to the radio, and you really enjoy a certain style of preacher, but they are living the lifestyle of a millionaire, multimillionaire, and they keep telling you to give, 
I can tell you right now where that money's going. It's in their pocket no matter what they say. So all you're doing is giving to make them richer, all right? So you need to really consider what you're giving to. Letter C, our sacrifice, the cause for the gift, our sacrifice pleases God. Verse 7, every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, not out of obligation. Again, if it's out of obligation, don't do it. If you give because you were told to give, don't give. But why? For God loveth a cheerful giver. We do so because we want to. We give because we love God and we want to please God. God loves, God is pleased by a generous, cheerful giver. So what's the cause for the gift? Why do we give? To inspire others and show them what generous giving looks like. We give to support others because when we give, other people are benefited. And we give to please God. I love God and I want to please him. I'm not buying his love. It's offered freely. But I am giving back in in whatever way I can, giving back to God because I love him and I want his not just love, I want him to have pleasure on me as well, to be pleased. Okay, point number three. Verse eight. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Now, another passage of Scripture tells us, the Apostle Paul states, hey, don't give so much that now you have need. He says there's no point in that. Don't give to the point where you're poor. But he's saying here that as you have much, as you have need, as God blesses you, allow the overflow of that blessing to pass on to others. It is not give to be blessed. It is more so give as you are blessed. Again, another passage twisted by those who would uh, deceive you into giving more. So letter A, God offers grace to those who show grace. So as as, uh, we are being gracious to others, God is being gracious to us. We are just reflecting God's grace to us, to others. And and it's, it's a beautiful circle that God gives grace, we offer grace. God gives grace, we offer grace. You know, again, you cannot buy God's grace, but you know what you can do? You can hinder God's grace. Look, grace means you don't deserve it. So there's nothing you can do, there's no amount of money you can offer to purchase grace, or it wouldn't be grace. But there are actions that will stop God's grace. We're told in the New Testament, one of those is when you don't forgive others, God will now not forgive you. We're not talking about you going to hell. It means that there will be things in your life God will have to judge harshly in this life on this earth and not give you grace because you are being harsh to others. You say, well, if I do this, can I earn God's grace? No, no, you can't earn it. But if you do this, God's grace will be brought back on you because God's a gracious God. So when you are gracious to others and you live generously and you give generously, you're not purchasing God's grace on you but you are not hindering God's grace on you. That's what it is. But when you take everything God gives you and hoard it for yourself and say, it's mine, 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 I want to live a better life for myself, God says, look, you don't deserve my grace, but now you're hindering my grace. So Christian, don't hinder God's grace. Live generously. And I don't just mean with money. Live generously in, in the conversations you have with people and the forgiveness you offer people and the kindness and the patience. Be generous with your patience. Be generous with your kindness. Be generous with your words of encouragement. Live generously, and you will not find God's grace being hindered in your own life. Letter B, those who receive the gift 
turn to God with thankfulness. This is the the conclusion of the gift. This is what happens after you give the right way. The first way is that as we give the right way, we we, uh, keep God's grace from being hindered. The second conclusion of a gift given cheerfully is that um, those who get it are thankful to God. Verse 12, for the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. If you take money and give it to someone directly for the purpose of them thanking you, you are not giving to God. You are giving to receive some type of uh, praise or honor, status. When you give to God and say, God, now you see this distributed, and people don't know it's you that gave, the only one left to thank is God now. And now the conclusion of your gift has been people thank the Lord. This community has received much from Meriden Hills over the years, and they often say, thank you, Meriden Hills. But you know what? In my opinion, when they do that, they're thanking God's church, which essentially is thanking God. They're not saying thank you, you know, person, person, person in the room. They don't know you. They don't know your name. They just know it's God's church, and they're saying we are thankful to God's church, and that is indirectly saying we're thankful to God for sending his church to me when I needed to give me what I needed. What a beautiful conclusion of the gift. What a beautiful fruit. That is the kind of fruit I want to reap bountifully. I don't need to be rich in this life financially. I want to be rich in spiritual fruit, and that is where I want to reap bountifully. But you can't reap that bountifully if you don't sow bountifully towards it. And then our final point for this morning, generous living is evidence of God's grace. All right, so we saw, first of all, letter A, that when you live generously, you don't hinder God's grace. By being gracious, you don't hinder God's grace. But also when you live generously and show God's grace, it, uh, uh, live generously, excuse me, it is evidence of God's grace in your life. Verse 13, while by the experiment of this ministration or giving, they glorify God, other people glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal, generous distribution unto them and unto all men. And by their prayer for you, which long after you, for the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be unto God. We're going to end with this thought. Other churches looked at Corinthian church, and let's say, the Corinthian church, morally corrupt. They got it fixed. They remedied the issues after Paul wrote them a letter. But in their moral corruption, people may have said, yeah, they sure got issues, but I'll tell you what, they love people. That would have been said about the Corinthian church. Yeah, they got moral issues, and and everyone's talking about it, but they love God. And that is, by the way, what the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter. He says, look, you claim to love God, you claim to love me, then why are you letting this happen? And And the Corinthians thought, you know what, you're right. You're right. If we claim to love God, and if we claim to love people and truth, then we do have to fix this, and they did. They just needed someone like Paul to help them. But even in their moral corruption, the world and churches said, that Corinthian church, man, they sure reflect God's grace really, really well. Now, would you rather reflect God's grace or God's truth? It's a trick question. It's not a choice. How about both? It doesn't have to be either one, right? You've been lied to if you feel it has to be one or the other. The Corinthian church would have been God's grace and not God's truth. 
the Apostle Paul said, stop it. Truth matters as well. Reflect the truth. And then by 2 Corinthians, now they reflected both. We need to reflect both. Meriden Hills can't just choose truth over grace, can't choose grace over truth. It's got to be both. But when you give generously, that is a tangible way people can see, feel, and experience God's grace. And that's what we just read in verse 14. That's exactly what happened. Other people saw the generous living and giving of the Corinthian church, and they said in verse 14, in their prayers, which long after you, which means not, not long, not later after you, but they long for you, meaning in their prayers, they are, they are praying on your behalf. That's what that idea is. They're praying for you and, and because of you and because they care about you because of what you've done. In their prayers for you, for the exceeding grace of God in you. They recognize God's grace in you, and they pray that there will be more of it. They pray that God's grace that they see in your life would continue. That is my prayer in this church. I have a lot of prayers for this church. That's one of them. Not that you give more. It is superfluous for me to preach this message to you today. It is unnecessary for me to preach this message to Meriden Hills Baptist Church. It's not needed. But my desire is that people would see God's grace in your life abounding, overflowing through your generous living. And generosity for someone who makes 300 a week looks a whole lot different for someone who makes 900 a week. Generosity for someone who has an hourly job will look a whole lot different for someone with a salary job. Look, generosity for someone who's been working and is now in their 40s and 50s is going to look a whole lot different for someone who just started at 18, right? Generosity isn't a number. Generosity is a lifestyle that looks different for all of us. Don't hinder God's grace in your life. Don't hinder God's generosity to you. Don't hinder the spiritual fruit that God wants to bring through this church. Be generous, however that looks, for you. God loves a cheerful giver, we read in this chapter. Do it for the right reasons. And if they're the wrong reasons, stop doing it until you got the right reasons. Let's pray.